Chloe. As Chloe said, I am Austin, and I'm from Urbandale, and uh, I got to meet some of you guys at Fall Retreat. Um, how many of you guys went to Fall Retreat? How many failed at the bowl miserably? I've still got some uh, videos of, of some of you guys probably on, uh, on the bowl on my phone, and uh, so I was there helping out with that, and it was just a great time to get to know some of you. Anytime I get asked to uh, share, um, one of my favorite things that I get to do is just kind of show off my family. So if you've got a picture of my family, this is, this is them, my beautiful wife, Elizabeth. We've been married six and a half years, and uh, she's a babe, and... Uh, I would tell you some of our hobbies, but we're not in that series. Um, my son, Sam, product of our hobbies. He's five. He, he's kind of got that cool guy, like, you know, just kind of like, chang- you know, just hanging on his dad, you know. He's awesome. He's in preschool this year. I can't believe that I'm going to have a, a kindergartner next year. Paisley is uh, our first three-year-old. Um, she's in the middle. She's actually uh, super sweet, but um, like she's just still trying to figure out how to like bring her highs kind of more in the middle and her lows more in the middle. You know what I'm saying? And uh, she's, she's an absolute blast. And Essie, uh, who just, I don't know what's going on with her face in that picture, uh, but she is definitely a daddy's girl. So I missed um, getting to uh, spend time with them tonight. My wife home holding down the fort with our three kids, and uh, it's always always uh, an exciting time in our household. So I've been friends with uh, Daniel and Derek, uh, particularly Daniel, um, the last four or five years. In the last couple years, Daniel and I have become uh, pretty close. We talk pretty frequently on the phone. We send a lot of text messages just seeing how we're doing and, and encouraging one another. And uh, I don't know if you guys realize just how lucky you guys are to have both Daniel and Derek as your pastors. Like, like I, I get to, to meet a lot of different pastors from around the state, and uh, I, I get to um, minister in different places, and there's really not anyone better than Daniel Quimby. And so um, what I want to do tonight is just show him some love and uh, some honor for what he's done uh, for this group. And so up on the screen is their cell phone numbers. Now, if you guys would all do me a favor and not blow up his phone with a million emojis right now, um, but uh, send uh, him or, or, or Derek, or maybe you're close with Taylor or Emily, um, just a, a word of encouragement. Just saying, man, hey, we miss you guys. Uh, we're jealous of you being in Florida while it's like four degrees here. Um, but I, I talk to all the Chi Alpha pastors throughout the state and even in other states, and one of the words that comes up a lot is discouragement. And uh, whether you realize it or not, being a college-age pastor can be one of the most difficult things. Why? Because college-age students oftentimes are flakes. And I'm not saying that to be mean but how many have had like a friend just totally flake out on you like last minute and it like happens all the time, right? And, and, and Daniel and Derek, they pour their, their life, their heart, their soul into this ministry. And so if you've got a minute just to send them a text just saying, hey, we love you, we appreciate you. Maybe it's not today. Maybe you just need to write a card and give it to them, take them out to coffee and verbally tell them, thank you for what you do. But show them honor and show them 
uh, how much you love and appreciate them because what you guys have here really is special. Most Chi Alphas don't have what you guys have, um, and, and so don't take that for granted, and be sure to, to reach out to uh, the Quinby um, family. Uh, I don't know what you call it, tribe. So last week, uh, Daniel kicked off the current series that you guys are in titled The River. How many were here last week? Got to hear him preach on John chapter 7, where Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, come and drink of me, and he uh, will have uh, living waters flow from them. And Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, if you miss the message, then you need to find a leader here, and they can get you uh, a link to listen to that so you can be caught um, up and brought up to speed with where we're at. But tonight, we're going to be taking a look at Psalm chapter 1. Um, and as you turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1, I want to play a quick game. Is everybody okay with playing a quick game? Partly because I'm like a 12-year-old um, stuck in a responsible adult body. Um, and so anytime I get to play games, I just want to do that. This game is called Lamentations or Taylor Swift Lyric. Now, how many T-Swifters we got out here, all right? Oh, yeah. Uh, there's some guys in the back that are like, yeah, I'm Taylor Swifters. <laughs> just like kind of nod their head. So this is how this game works, okay? We're going to throw up a slide with some uh, words on the screen, and then uh, you guys are going to guess, is it from the book of Lamentations, or is it a Taylor Swift lyric of one of her songs? Everybody good with, with playing? All right, let's throw up the first one. She cries herself to sleep at night, tears soaking her pillow. How many think T-Swift? How many think Lamentations? Let's see the answer. Ooh, Lamentations. It's like all guys who got that wrong. Next one. Your knives and swords and weapons that you use against me. Taylor Swift. Lamentations. All right, let's see what it is. Oh, you guys know it. All right, next one. My eyes are blind with tears. My stomach is in a knot. Okay. Lamentations. Taylor Swift. All right, what is it? I don't even know. Lamentations. Oh, man. Hey, any perfect scores so far? Woo! That's because you guys are just like following one person. All right, next one. You're like a lion ready to pounce. I can just see her like singing this, and I was like, you're like a lion ready to pounce. All right, how many would say T-Swift? Raise them high. Don't be ashamed. How many would say Lamentations? All right, let's see what it is. Lamentations. Yeah, you can look that one up later, guys. All right. This yearning in the deep part of my heart for you. Taylor Swift. Lamentations. All right, let's see what it is. T-Swift. Oh, you guys dropped like flies that section right there. Okay. I think, is this the last one? This is the last one, all right? This is for all the marbles. All we are is skin and bone. Taylor Swift, Lamentations, both. Let's see what it is. Taylor Swift. Did my mic go out? No, I'm good? Sweet. Well, uh, anybody get all six right, like truthfully? Wow, you did? No way. You seriously got all six right. That's amazing. So either you're a huge T-Swifter or Lamentations is your favorite book of the Bible. And you've just, like, got it memorized. Neither. Neither. That's awesome. 
Well, the reason why I wanted to play this quick game uh, really was to, to get you to think and ask yourself this question. Are you more familiar with lyrics from a song than you are God's word? <laughs> are you quicker to recognize a singer's voice or lyrics than you are to recognize the voice of God? Now, I know for me, uh, I, I love music. I play a lot of instruments. I lead worship. Um, and I just kind of obsess over one person for a period of time, and I'll just listen to their songs just over and over and over and over. I don't like these random playlists where it's just like you go from, like, country to rap to, like, no, just give me their album and let me just listen to it over and over. And as I do that, I begin to see a theme of the way that they write their lyrics. I, I begin to hear the way that they write their songs, and, and then when I'm at a movie and I hear a song, I'm like, boom, that's so-and-so. Boom, they must have written that song. Boom, and you start to easily recognize that artist's, uh, you know, masterpiece, their song. And, and I want to tell you this evening that the same goes for God's word. As we begin to saturate ourselves in God's word and we dig into the Bible and his words, when the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us, we go, ooh, that's of God because that sounds like something that God would say. Ooh, I'm going to do that because that definitely aligns with what Scripture has to say. And so I want to challenge us tonight. We just saying, God, take me deeper. I want to know your heart. You know the best way to know God's heart? How about starting with the Word of God? Man, that's his heart poured out on pages. If you're struggling to understand who God is, then you need to get familiar with the Word of God. So Psalm chapter 1, can we stand just real quick as we read Psalm chapter 1? I do that to get some blood flowing, no sleepers. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. And I'm going to stop here because this isn't really a part of my sermon. But that sounds weird. It's like, what's chaff? So back when they would take wheat, they would take the wheat, they'd put it in their hands, and you'd have the, the grains of wheat in your hands. And what they would do is they would toss that wheat up and the little like leaves that would cover the wheat grain, that's called the chaff. And so the heavy stuff the grain that they wanted to keep would come right back down. The chaff would just blow away in the wind. And so they would toss it up and out in the wind. So that's what they're comparing it to. Just a side note. I don't know why I said that. It's not in my notes. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. God, thank you for your word. I pray tonight that you would just begin to speak to our hearts, that we would receive not just from my words, but from the Holy Spirit, and that our inner man, our, our spirit that you have um, made alive in us, God, that it would resonate and it, or it would register what you are saying, God, and something that is said tonight would resonate in our hearts. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now you can sit down, turn to your neighbor, say, I'm glad you're here. Turn to your other neighbor and say, not so much with you. All right, it's a joke, guys. Come on. 
So there's a lot to this chapter, even though this chapter is just a short six uh, verses. Let's dig in. Verse one says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the way or in in the counsel of the wicked. Okay, now this sounds kind of weird, and and I want to just kind of dissect this a little bit because um, what is this saying? When you receive counsel from someone, what are you doing? What you're doing is you're asking someone how you should view a situation or think about it. When someone comes to me and says, Pastor Austin, we're having marital issues. We need marital counseling. What they are doing is they are asking me to look at the situation. They're asking me to look at their life. They're asking me to look into their relationship and tell them how to think about it. They're asking me for advice. They're, they're, telling me, they're asking me and inviting me to be a part of their life to, to, to dissect what they're going through and say, man, how should I view this situation? Am I being ridiculous that she expects this? Is, is this too much to ask for? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's counsel. And so in the same way, when we walk in the counsel of the wicked, what we're doing is we are taking advice from sinners. We are taking advice from people that are not on the same path that we are on. The Bible calls them wicked, and that might seem a little bit extreme to you, but we have to realize that there is a holy and there is an unholy. And so maybe wicked is an archaic term and sounds really harsh, and we reserve that word now for people like Saddam Hussein or you know, whoever it might be. But really, anybody who is not following in the way of God is wicked. Many of you, I believe, are, are probably roommates with people who are unbelievers. Are you going to them for relational advice? Are, are you going to them to ask them, how do I view this situation? I'm going through this. What should I do? What do you think I should do? Some, some of you guys really need to start evaluating where you're getting your counsel and where you're getting advice. And some of you, you don't even know where it's coming from. You, you, you're not even aware of, of what's influencing your thoughts. You're not even, you, if I were to ask you, who, is, who, who do you get your advice from? Who do you get your counsel from? You wouldn't be able to give me a person or a thing that would do that, that that's, that's pouring into you. Author Alan Hirsch says, if we don't disciple people, the culture surely will. Some of you are allowing social media, influencers, TV shows, movies, all of these things to counsel you, to, to, to give you a perspective of this is what a relationship is supposed to look like. This is what family is supposed to look like. And we're inviting these thought patterns into how we view life. I'm not preaching against all those things. I'm not saying like, man, you know, you should just live under a rock like Patrick Starfish. And if you don't know who Patrick Starfish is, and you're likely living under a rock. But some of you need to be more intentional about where you receive counsel from. The verse goes on, and it says, blessed is the man who, who, who doesn't receive that counsel, but it says, or stand in the way that sinners take. Now, what that means is that you haven't just begun to think like sinners think. You haven't just begun to accept the counsel and the advice of sinners, but you've actually begun to act you're standing in the way. You are acting in the way that sinners act. When Satan, what he wants to do is he wants to trick you into believing a lie that the behaviors of the world are normal. And so as soon as, as Satan can trick you into believing that sleeping with your boyfriend or with your girlfriend is normal, you'll start to sleep around. As soon as he can trick you into thinking that, that drinking is no problem. He, he, you're going to start 
drinking. As, as soon as, as he can trick you into thinking that dressing a certain way or acting a certain way or talking a certain way is normal, you're going to start dressing and, and talking and acting those ways. But let me remind you that God gets to define normal because in him all things were created. See, see, Satan is constantly contradicting and spinning everything that God has created to get you to go away from God. So we can't let the world influence us. We can't let the counsel of the wicked influence our thoughts. In 1903, one of the most famous books ever written, As a Man Thinketh, was written, and it's all about your thought life. What are you allowing to affect your thought life. You begin to think, so you act, and eventually you identify with and as a sinner. The last part of verse 1 says, Blessed is a person who does not think, act, and finally sit in the company of mockers. The way that you think will eventually lead to the way that you live your life. Now you're not just acting like a sinner. You actually identify as a sinner. And that's a very dangerous place to be at. How many have ever, like, had a conversation with someone about heaven and you're just, like, trying to evangelize to them and just share the gospel? And they're like, well, I'm just going to hell because that's where all my, my uh, friends are going to be. And they're just, like, totally content just sitting in that. And that's just what they identify with. Your thoughts are so powerful. And it leads to your acts, which... Which, which eventually leads to the way that you identify yourself. Pastor Luke, who's our high school pastor at New Hope, he once said this in a sermon, and it stood out to me so much. He said, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thought. That's good. I heard like a snap back there. You guys are doing weird, weird stuff, right? No, seriously, like, if, if you are just, like, obsessing over that internship that you need to be doing, what are you going to be doing? You're thinking about it, and you're just, like, pursuing that internship. If you're obsessed with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your relationship that you're pursuing, man, you're just going in that direction. Whatever it might be, whatever your strongest thought is, is the way that you go. If you came in here tonight feeling stuck, feeling stuck in life, feeling stuck in a sin, if you are ready for a change, then start with your thoughts. Why think about heaven? Because you won't be thinking about sin. Why think about what you're supposed to do? Because you won't be thinking about what you're not supposed to be doing. If I say don't think about this music stand right here, you guys are all thinking about this music stand. But we need to set our eyes on heaven and on Christ so that our lives might reflect that. And as we're pursuing heaven, I promise you will sin less. You will live a life that is more close to what God wants you to live. Let's take back the reins of our thought life. And this is achieved when the voice of God is the loudest voice in your life, louder than social media, than Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, Plus, YouTube. We need to turn down what the world has to say, what the wicked are saying, and turn up the voice of truth. But how do we do that? So the, the first part, or this first verse is kind of neg negative, right? Blessed is a man who doesn't do this and doesn't do that and doesn't do this. But verse 2 and verse 3 says this, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whether whatever he does 
prospers. The blessed life that we all want to live starts with the word of God. The Bible is the only living and active book. There is literal power in scriptures. As you read scriptures, your thoughts will begin to change. As you begin to meditate it both day and night, you, you, you won't just, you know, change uh, your thoughts, but the way that you live your life will change. And, and as if we avoid the counsel, we meditate on, on God's word, we will become what scripture says here, like a tree planted by streams of water. And here we are right back to our theme of water. The river. Let's take a, a just a brief little recap. I don't know if Daniel touched on this last week or not, but water re- represents a lot of significant things in the Bible. And so when you're reading the Old Testament and when you're reading the New Testament, it's very important that you need to know what water represents. So the Old Testament, when you read about water, it represents blessing and fruitfulness. Blessing, fertility, and water are almost interchangeable ideas in the Old Testament. Everywhere there is water, there is life, right? It is one of the essentials to life. Why do other planets not have life? There's no water. I, did someone say oxygen? I'm going to slap you, right? Okay, Las Vegas, out in the middle of the desert, but what's right next to it? Lake Mead. Lake, water, civilization, right around it. When I was in Israel, everywhere that I went, in all of the ancient towns, there was always a source of water. And a side note, in the 12th and 13th century, when the Crusades happened and the Christians killed all these uh, Muslims and people of, of faith, that wasn't a war on religion. It was a war because there was a king that was out of money, and he was looking at land that was surrounded by water, and therefore it was fertile, therefore it was green, therefore there were resources in it, and he needed that land. He knew that his people weren't going to go and just kill a whole bunch of people just because, hey, we just need your land, so we're just going to come and kill you and drive you know, your women and children out of here. So he used religion as a tool to get the people to go to war and take this land. I've literally been to the places of the Crusades, and I've looked down in the valleys, and it's a beautiful land with all sorts of resources. And back then, when it's cattle and sheep and goats and all these different things, you can see why any place where there's water, it brings security, it brings wealth, it brings all of these different things. So that's a side history lesson for somebody in the room, but you can have it, take it, leave it, disagree with me. I don't really care. The New Testament, water represents the Spirit of God. uh, Daniel last week you know, preach on John chapter 7. Whoever's thirsty, come and drink of me and believe in me, and then rivers of living water will flow from them. Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit that would be made available to mankind. So, what does that all mean? When it says in scriptures that we will be like a tree that is planted by streams of water, the reader in the Old Testament would understand that this meant blessing and fertility and security. As we read it today, we know that it's not only referring to a blessing and fertility, but also to the availability of the Holy Spirit, which empowers us to resist temptation, to live as a witness to God, and to do all the things that God has called us to do. I don't know about you guys, but verse 3 is where I want to live my life. I want to avoid the counsel. I want to be 
meditating on his law day and night. And, and I want to be planted by the streams of living water. I want to be rooted in that. I want to produce fruit. I want to be a tall and strong tree that provides shade for anyone who is weary. I, I want to have fruit where people who are, 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 are tired and need refresh can come and, and be around me and just be completely refreshed and healed. I want to be someone, just like in Scripture where it says Peter walked and the, the shadow fell on someone and people were healed. I want to be that type of person. I want to be rooted in the Holy Spirit. I want to be rooted in a life of blessing and fruitfulness. I, I want that for my life, and I believe that all of us here would agree with me that that's the type of life that you want to live, but hear me, that will only happen when you root yourself in God's word, day and night. Sometimes I get so excited, yeah, I didn't miss devotions for a week. And then I read a verse like this, and it's like, shoot, day and night. Oh, yeah, about that, about that, God, you know. Man. I'm afraid that many of us are having drive-by encounters with God's word. Where it's like, man, I, I come in, I'm around God's word on Tuesday night. Come in, I, I go to church on Sunday, and I'm around God's word, maybe in my small group, maybe one-on-one. -on -one. We're just kind of like casual with God's word. A couple years ago, I went to Bonner Springs, Kansas to a concert. Anybody ever been to Bonner Springs for a, a concert? It's an outdoor venue. It's an awesome venue. I've been to several concerts there. It's one of my favorite places to, to go enjoy music. And it's a big grass field, and you can go down up as close to the stage as you want. And it's just kind of just like a free-for-all type of, type of place. And John Mayer was there. I, I love John Mayer, and um, uh, I'm a guitar player, so I just love listening to him. Need to Breathe opened up. It was this great concert, beautiful weather. I ate Fogo de Chao. Anybody know what Fogo de Chao is? It's an all-you-can-eat Brazilian steakhouse. So I had, like, the meat sweats. I had, like, my shirt up. I was, like, just, like listening to John Mayer while my metabolism was working overtime. It's fantastic. And uh, with about a song left, I left, and uh, the people that I was with, I was, like, let's let's beat the, the parking lot rush. Let's, let's get back on the road. We've got about a three-and-a-half-hour drive back home. And so the song left, we decide to leave, we're walking up the hill, we get outside the venue, we're in the parking lot, it's this big gravel parking lot, and I remember having this thought, I thought, man, next time there's a concert here that I want to listen, instead of paying 50 bucks for a ticket, I'm just going to pull my truck, bring my grill, bring some bags, because I can hear the concert just fine from the parking lot. You know, being an outdoor venue is just like so loud, and you know, you're what? 600 yards away or whatever. I mean, you can hear everything that's going on in the concert out in the parking lot. Like, that sounds great. Brats and bags. Let's go, you know. But how many know that there's a difference from actually being in the concert venue up close experiencing that versus just kind of driving by, hanging out on the out, outer fringe of that concert venue. Some of you flirt with the scriptures, but you're not planted. You get close, and you might even reap some of the benefits. 
you know, out in the parking lot, it was just kind of like, man, oh, dude, I love this song, you know, waiting on the world. That was their clothes and, you know, just kind of just moving with it and everything. But, man, if I was up there next to the, the, the stage and I was in there with, the, with everybody else, it, it would just be so much more powerful. And I think sometimes you guys with scriptures treat it so casually where it's like, oh, man, Tuesday night, that was super cool. But you've never committed to being in it day and night on your own. Listen, God, I promise you, wants to speak something directly to you in God's word. And hear me in this. When I digest a word from the Lord and I give it to you, what is that? Regurgitation. That means I have all this other stuff that I've studied in this word that I'm not sharing with you. You guys are only getting a percentage of the nutrients of God's word tonight. What if you guys started digesting your own food and you weren't waiting for Daniel to to regurgitate it on you? Now, that's kind of gross, right? (laughs) Again, not in my notes, but weird. I believe also that some of you are so tired because you're saturating your life with things like small groups and one-on-ones and large group and coffee dates, but you're not saturating your life with the life-giving word of God. And you're concerned with producing this fruit and doing this ministry and and serving the church and serving Chi Alpha and, and, and pouring into other people, but you're not planted next to the stream because you're not in the word of God. Christianity is not taxing when you're planted by the streams of water. You hear me? Like, there's not a day that goes in my life when I am rooted in God's word where I'm like, oh, gosh, I just, I just can't do it today. But I'll tell you what, there's been Sundays where I haven't spent my week saturated in God's word where I get to, to church, and I'm like, this is like the last place that I want to be. Like, I've got nothing to give. And, and I'm like trying to like force myself to produce fake fruit how many like, uh, again, not in my notes, but um, maraschino, mar- marsh- marsh- maraschino like cherries, right? The like candy red ones. Like some people are like, yes, we're getting, Maddie's getting saved again, you know, over here. Like, right? You know, they inject them with that red cherry dye and sugar and preservatives and all these different things, you know? I just ruined someone's day. She's like, no, I thought they were a healthy snack. (laughs) You know, but I kind of view those cherries as like this fake fruit. Because if you were to eat a few of them, it might be okay. But you eat an entire jar, and now all of a sudden you've got this like gut rot. But bean cherries... How many like Bing cherries? How many even know what Bing cherries? How many don't know what Bing cherries are? It, seriously, you guys don't know what Bing cherries are? Guys, I told you already, don't live under a rock. Okay? Bing cherries are like the best cherries in the world. And they are summertime cherries. They've got seeds in the middle and you've got to eat them and you spit the seeds out. And, and they are not injected with all this fake crap and not injected with the sugar. And sure, you know, one of those maraschino or however you say it, cherries might taste okay for a moment, but what could take you through a marathon? Bing cherries, right? 
you guys are asking me, like, where are you going with this? And I'm thinking the same thing. No. <laughs> what I'm saying is this. When you are not planted by the river, you'll find yourself trying to doctor up this fake cherry that might be a little bit of something for someone in someone's life, but it's not the real deal. I want to be someone who's, who's producing cherries that, like, you know that cherry juice can actually help arthritis? I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. Cherry juice. There's so many old people that drink about five to ten ounces of cherry juice a day. I'm going to go back and listen to this and be like, what were you on, you know? <laughs> I want to be that type of tree. Real fruit. And I don't want to be tired of it because I'm, I'm just trying to manufacture something in it. I want to be rooted. I want to be verse 3. Others of you are so confused as to what's next. If you were to get in God's word, you might find some direction. People are so wrapped up at this age about finding God's will for my life. God, where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to marry? What's, what's my next step in life? You know, all of these different questions about God's unwritten will from your life while you're completely ignoring God's written will for your life. Man, I, I, I guarantee you and I promise you this, as you are faithful to turn the pages of God's word, God will be faithful to turn the pages of your life. As you become familiar with God's voice through scripture, you will become more familiar with God's voice when he speaks to you. It will be so much clearer and easier to know where you're supposed to go in life and what you're supposed to do. I remember this time when I went hunting in Namibia. Anybody know where Namibia is? You guys know that? There you go. It's kind of by South Africa. I was doing some mission work over in Swaziland, which is now Eswatini. Then I took a bus um, from Swaziland to Joburg, Johannesburg. And I was supposed to meet my friends there and fly to Windhoek, Namibia, and we were going to hunt. And... Uh, my cell phone didn't work. I didn't have internet. Not many people spoke English. Trying to bum a phone call on anybody there is like, I'm out of minutes. You know, I'm out of minutes. And you hear their phone ring and they're talking on the phone. It's like, okay, really? You know, and so traveling across these three countries, I was a little bit nervous by myself. I was supposed to be meeting my friends in Joburg. They're nowhere to be found. Got on the flight, not on the flight. Land in Namibia, not in Namibia. So I go through customs. I get in there, I'm standing. All I know is I'm supposed to be looking for this dude named George. You know, if I was with like my three other buddies, you know, as us four, I'd be like, Wolfpack, you know, like we're in this. But I was just like standing there like helpless. I don't, I don't know what George looks like. I've never talked to George. Is he white? Is he black? Is he tall? Is he short? Is he fat? Is he skinny? I have no idea who George is, and I'm just standing in this airport, helpless, in this total, complete, blind state of confusion, wondering what am I supposed to do and where am I supposed to go from here? And all of a sudden, this dude comes up to me and he goes, you looking for George? I said, yes. Where were you 20 minutes ago? And he goes, I'm Johan. I'm one of the guides. Did you not get the email that George sent you? And I'm like, dude, I've been 
in Africa for the last 14 days. I haven't been on my email at all. And he goes, oh, well, if you would have just read the email, you would have known to look for me. I was out in the car waiting for you, and I decided to come in to make sure that you were here. I said, what happened to my friends? He explained what happened. Then we went and we hunted. It was a great time. Yay, right? But sometimes I think that in life, we're in the same place that I was in Namibia, where you're standing in this blind state of confusion thinking, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? And if we would just open the email, if we would just open up the word of God, we would know to look for Johan. We would know where to go. We would know what to say. We would, we would know what to do. At the risk of sounding redundant, I ask you tonight, how committed to you are, to, are you to God's word? going to end tonight a little bit differently. I know most of the time you guys end with like a song. I love music. I absolutely love music. But tonight we're going to end in some prayer and God's voice is going to begin to speak to you and stir in you. In pre-service prayer, Casey was praying and, and just reminding and encouraging us to look for God in the still moments. We don't need hype. We don't need, you know, 18-inch subwoofers that just shake our body, you know, to feel God. So tonight, that's what we're going to do. We're going to end in prayer. We're going to end asking God some questions. Maybe you need to rearrange some priorities in your life because you've been receiving counsel and God's going to identify people or things in your life that you're like, man, you've been taking cues from the wrong person. Maybe, maybe it's just getting a game plan of what you're going to do. But before we end in just a, a time of prayer and reflection, I want to give you some action points. And if you're not doing this already uh, right now, I want to challenge you to read one chapter of a gospel every day. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Get in the word of God. These are the, the accounts of Jesus while he's on earth. And this will start to reveal to you who Jesus is, what he's done for you, how we're supposed to treat other people, what ministry is supposed to look like. We get to know who Jesus is so that we might look like Jesus. Some of you are like, man, we already do that. Daniel already challenges us to do that. If that's the case and you're already doing that, then I want you to find a reading plan where you can read through the Bible in an entire year. One calendar year, you read through the entire Bible. Think, Austin, I'm in college. And I already have enough reading assignments. Listen, I understand college. I took 23 credits one semester. I was in charge of an on-campus ministry. I was heavily involved in my church. I pulled straight A's. I, I, I was able to do it all. But it wasn't because I'm so smart. It wasn't because I'm just this giant brain and I can just retain all these things. What I credit it to is that semester, I made it a priority to get up at 7 a.m. every morning and I spent time in God's word and in prayer. And there were mornings, not gonna lie, it was like 7.20, 7.30, 7.45, 7.45, 7.45, 7.45, 7.45, 7.45, 7.45, 7.45, 7.45, 7.45, 7.45, 7.45,
My class started at 7.40, 7.45. And uh, I, I was doing more sleeping than I was praying. There were other times where it's like, I know I read something and I know I wrote it down, but I had to go back later in the afternoon and say like, what was it that I read? But I, I do know this. On the days where I prioritized God's word in my life, he gave me clarity. He gave me an efficiency that I have never experienced before. He, he gave me the ability to retain things in lectures and in study where I would grasp it the first time. There was an undeniable blessing and fruitfulness that came when I devoted myself to spending that time in God's word. So you say, Austin, I don't want to read. Listen, I'm not doing this so that you just have one more thing on your checklist. This won't make you a better Christian. You don't get a spiritual merit badge and then like a high five and a slap on the butt at the end of the, the year. Like, good game, you know, buddy. Like this, this isn't, this isn't why I'm, 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 I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I really genuinely want you all to live the best life that you can possibly live. I genuinely want all of us to be a forest of trees that has, everybody look at forest, a forest of trees that grow strong and together provide shade and pr protection and nutrients. And I believe that we can do that. Not some fake fruit, but genuine Holy Spirit-led and filled, life-giving fruit. Would you all stand and close your eyes and bow your heads? Begin to just allow the Holy Spirit of God just to speak to you tonight. Don't be in a hurry. Don't check out. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Right now, in this moment, God is speaking. God is nudging on your heart. God is revealing something in your heart. God, I pray that you would give ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that is open to what you have for us, Lord. So speak to us, Jesus. I want you to ask yourself, what do I need to rearrange in my life? What do I, what do I need to give up in my life so that I might be planted by streams of living water. What or who is my loudest source of counsel? Who am I taking my cues from? Maybe you just simply need to hear from God. What, what's my, what's my reading plan? Am I supposed to be in the Gospels? Am I spart, Am I supposed to start to dive into really difficult theological answers like why would God wipe out the entire earth through a flood? How could a loving God send anybody to hell? If God is good, then why is there so much evil? Maybe God is calling you to really get a grasp on those things. What is it that God is directing you and reading his word? 
continued with your eyes closed and your head bowed, I just want to give the opportunity. Never want to let one pass. Or maybe what you're feeling in your heart tonight is that you need to step into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you've been on the fringe. You've been on the outsides. You maybe reaped some benefits of kind of being around Jesus, but you're like Zacchaeus who climbed a tree to kind of see Jesus. Just kind of like on the outer fringe, just kind of watching from afar. And you're like, man, I'm ready to, I'm ready to come straight to the feet of Jesus, declare him as Lord and Savior of my life. I'm ready to turn from my ways and ask him to rearrange my thoughts so that I might live a life that glorifies him. And if that's you tonight and you'd say for the first time, I'm asking Jesus into my heart. I need to be saved of my sins, forgiven of what I've done, and I'm calling him as Lord and Savior. Would you just raise your hand? And, and if there's anyone here that would say that. God, I thank you for everyone in this room. I pray, God, as we just go our separate ways that we would be rooted, that the personal encounters with you would far exceed the corporate encounters with you. And it would start in your word, God, that it would become alive, that it would be quickened in our hearts. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One last thing before you guys go, I just want to challenge you in this thought. You look at the life of Moses, his ministry started when he personally encountered God at the burning bush. You look at the life of Saul, who later changed his name to Paul, it started when he personally encountered Christ on the road to Damascus. You look at Abraham, you look at just about anybody in scripture that did anything, Mary, received a, a, a word from the Lord from an angel. It all started with a personal encounter with God. And that's what I want to challenge you guys. What would this group look differently if we all came in having had personal encounters and our flame wasn't needed, needing to be, you know, jump-started, but we're already coming in 